0: Good afternoon, London town. You are listening to Isotopica here on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is me, Simon Tishko, with another Sonic Detail. And this week, on today's show, we are very lucky, very, very, very lucky, I would say, in fact, to have further adventures of Dudley Sutton. National treasure, acting legend, and longtime friend who this week will talk us through his extended adventures in the Soviet Union in 1957, where he travelled with Joan Littlewood's Theatre Workshop, a left-wing experimental troupe that probably changed the face of British and European theatre. Some great stories, a great narrator. I hope you enjoyed as much as I enjoyed recording them. Uh, we'll have more from Dudley in future episodes, I hope, as I think we enjoy enjoying another a lot. Without further ado, I suggest you pin back your ears and I shall step back, press the play button, and we can listen to Dudley Sutton's Adventures. This is San Go, this is Ice there. you listen to 104.4. We find ourselves in the Chelsea Arts
1: Club, in a rather bijou may I use the word bijou room? No, you may not. What kind of room is this then? Well, it's a bit like you'd, the sort of room you'd have when you went to, as a boy, you went to stay with your granny in the country. It's got a nice little window overlooking the garden. It's got a single bed. It's lovely. It's an old-fashioned looking glass. What you would call a mirror or something, Vul- a vulgarian. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, That hadn't read your Nancy Mitford. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so there we are. So, how comes we're in the Chelsea Arts Club rather than in Shea Satong? Oh, because my flat is being um, refurbished by the new landlady who is frightening me to death with her. Oh, God, interference, really. Um, Never no, mind, I don't want to get into that. It'll spoil no. the evening. How long have you been a member of the Chelsea Arts Club? Uh, I'm not sure. I think a couple of years after Roger Hilton died, which would be 1974, about 1976, 78, around that time. Yeah. 78, 80. It's a gift. 98. It was a gift. I looked after, I helped... Um, Roger Hilton's widow with the family and with him towards the end of his life, and uh, out of gratitude she she got me membership of this club, which as you know is about a hundred yards down the road from my flat, and it couldn't be better because it appeals to the old, old-fashioned old side of me, the, the civilized side of me, the <laughs> little bits that are left of, of Chelsea. Mm. Uh, that are still Chelsea of the old school. It's wonderful to be able to be surrounded by people who know what you're talking about when you're talking about books and, lit- and literature and politics and stuff, poetry and so on, and the arts generally, painting of course, architecture. It's wonderful to be in that atmosphere and to be in an atmosphere that's a bit rem- reminiscent of prep school and uh, as I say, staying with your granny in the country. Uh, it suits me enormously. I mean, at the moment I'm staying here, as I just said, and I come down in the morning and have kippers for breakfast. I mean, what's, what, life doesn't get better than that. Kippers and toast and marmalade and tea. It's uh, extraordinary. That's a habit I never picked up. Or kippers? Kipper they the are sublime. Uh, you can't normally cook them in the flat. I mean, in my flat's being refurbished. I said so. I'll get a, a nice extractor system put in. I'll be able to cook kippers. I love kippers are incredibly good for you. They're amongst the best foods that you can eat that are that are good for your health, especially as getting older. Kippers. It's quite a name as well, isn't it? Kipper. 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 Yeah. Kipper. The kipper tie. The Kipper, the Kippers, the great Scottish, yeah, they come from uh, Scotland via um, fishmongers in Chelsea Green and they are the best, they're succulent. You have interesting people to talk to at breakfast. I'm one of these awful people who is alive and lively at breakfast. So you get a few sitting there rattling the newspapers. And now and again you get very lively people. At the moment there's a lovely German, um jeweller staying here called Axel from Hamburg. It's fascinating talking with him. You know, he's got beautiful round tortoiseshell glasses. <laughs> and he's explaining to me. And my daughter who stays here now, she comes up on a Sunday to do a millinery course on a Monday and she stays. She's got screaming bright ginger red pink hair. And I tell everybody that it's naturalist that we were doing a lot of acid when she was conceived. It's <laughs> not died at all. <laughs> Which brings us round to the histories, the histories, the past. The last time yeah. we were chatting, yeah. we got to the point
0: where you first went down and had an audition.
1: The oh, a theatre workshop with the, the great, workshop. the great Joan Littlewood. Yeah,
0: mm. yeah.
1: Well, I, yeah. I mean, I, I think I've already said I was so fed up with the bourge, what are called bourgeois theatre, where people just go to admire each other for being there, and watch these famous actors who get knighthoods for acting. We were taught not to act, <laughs> and and uh, no, I'd I'd gotten so fed up with the established theatre, and somebody had suggested that I should go down the East End and see this extraordinary theatre company that was not Anglo-centric but Euro-centric, was not concerned with the minutiae of the neuroses of the English middle class, uh, as the English theatre was at the time, but was interested in world events and in world ideas and philosophy and politics and jokes and cartoons. It it could breathe. It was the first theatre in England that refused to play the national anthem. Because in the past, you go to this posh theater and you sit down, the moment you sat down, the drum roll would start, and everybody had have to clamber up to their feet while they played this maudlin tune. And this supposed to be a house of entertainment. And it was ludicrous. And then you'd all sit down again, and then the curtain would go up, and I say, Sue, I really do love you. Uh, do you, Edward? Yes, of course I do, you silly little goose, goosey. And they would all do that sort <laughs> of shit. And I would fall asleep. <laughs> Or it was somebody stole a ten bob note at prep school and got blamed falsely. So everybody rallies round. Or it was Shakespeare with one leg up on a rostrum and a pe- pearl drop earring and all over intoned, Ah, oh me, how sweet is love itself possessed. That's then and since love's shadows are so rich in joy. They would go, oh, wonderful Shakespeare. And you're going, shut up. Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> when I went down the East End, and it was all—it was called *The Good Soldier Schweik*, and it was a wonderful, peripatetic play about a useless private in the Austro-Hungarian Army. He was an innocent. He was like all the great innocents, like Candide and Simplicimus and all the great innocents of of, of literature, all, all over the world, and. Uh, there's a lovely scene where he's thrown into jail, having done nothing, and he's thrown into prison. And there's a bank manager storming up and down, saying, I've just been given five years and I'm innocent. And Schmeich says, well, it's just, well, you didn't do it then, you would have got ten. And he's got this wonderful, <laughs> joyful attitude to life. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, and this play, it was, these plays were, would throw ideas at you instead of expect you just to sit there and admire. Yes. You were engaged, you engaged know, it was it's thrilling. It thrilling. Lots of music which you didn't have in the English theatre in those days. You had musicals or you had drama, and drama had no music. Serious. You know, who stole the 10-bob note? That's what we've got to get to grips with here. <laughs> who blew up the planet? That's what we need to get to grips with. There's a play called Uranium 235, full of folk songs, full of political rants and raves. Oh, heaven. And uh, a couple of years later, when I got thrown out of the Royal Academy of Hot Air, I went in there. I was so sure I belonged there, I took my coat off, dropped dropped my jacket on the floor, and uh, did an audition which turned out to be absolutely dreadful, except I was very good at dance and movement and mime. And that's what they were interested in. They weren't interested in Ah oh, me, how sweet is love that some possessed. They were interested in mime and in music and, and ad lib, which was against the law, would you believe? Ad-libbing on the English stage was against the law because every play, page of every play had to be approved by the Lord Chamberlain in St. James's Palace. And would send letters to the theatre with a huge red embossed uh, the coat of arms, Oniswaki uh, Malipense, and Dear and, uh, Theatre, um, regard to such and such play. Number one, we'd delete the words, crawling up the boss's ass. <laughs> was written, and these would be pinned on the, note, on, the, on the notice board. And we were ad-libbing dialogue, and they sent the special branch down. It was that serious. We were doing political plays and ad-libbing. The special branch came down, sitting in those obvious raincoats that they always insist on wearing. Even They obviously go to the movies, the special branch, get their ideas from John le Carre or somebody. <laughs> and they were sat there and taking notes. It was ludicrous, and we were we were t- taken to court. I, unfortunately, I didn't go, but uh, Littlewood and her husband and, and uh, Richard Harris went, and had to. Do, and, and we had these wonderful lawyers who turned out like Goodman and uh, Levy and people like that that took care of us. But uh, it was a very exciting time to be in the theatre in 1957. It was very exciting. It was what, what came known later as the Kitchen Sink, but well, that was the Royal Court really, which was kind of. University led, um, very different. We were more music hall led, uh, street theatre, uh, propaganda theatre from the from the um, workers' movement up in in Manchester. Um, and we had Ewan McColl as part of the company. You know the man who wrote uh, that wonderful song about uh, where we may be a way slave on Monday but I am a free man on Sunday and they had this great workers movement marching over Kinder Scout in the Derbyshire Peak District because the uh, lords um, gamekeepers prevented public access to what was actually public land, common land. You know it was exciting to be engaged to be to be at the forefront of the th- of thinking, to the forefront of ideas at the time, instead of I uh, keep saying. F- flattering the prejudice of the bloody middle class, mm. which still goes on. Of course, it's probably more entrenched get... now. Isn't oh, it's so wonderful, um, here we are, and, uh, we're sitting here with people who think exactly like we do, and we're going to remain thinking exactly like we do when we leave, it's a waste of bloody money. i would sooner <laughs> go to the pub and have a punch-up with a bunch of Irishmen and sing a song. Uh, get more ideas, more mm. ideas in a bucket. to what developed and this was when on earth did censorship when did censorship end i don't remember i don't remember it was quite early on early 60s i don't actually remember but it did stop the censorship then everybody went over the top you know started taking their clothes off on the stage but it, it really showed what the the bourgeois british theater was really thinking about it was just thinking about page three it was thinking about porn it wasn't thinking about ideas. We were allowed to start expressing ideas. And all they did is make rude plays. Hmm. You know, naughty, naughty. Of course. Come, put it up your bottom. Right on oh, and bomb. Yes, or chase the Barbara Windsor's tits around the stage. on yeah, well, yeah, no. the screen. As well. It's pathetic. Because you were already engaged in agitation propaganda. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, probably yes, absolutely. Agitprop. And influenced by the Kabuki theatre of Japan, Mm. it was staggering and presentational drama, not representation, not pretending to be life. Yes, we were theatre. We let everybody know it was theatre, and we engaged the audience. So, if we were going to sing a song, we'd say, "Hey, should we sing a song?" Kate on the piano, come on, and we'd sing the song. We wouldn't sort of go. uh, I love you, darling. Do you love me too? I do. Oh, the spring is sprung. Oh, Nobody no. goes outside and vomits. <laughs> no, it was a, it was a wonderful time to be alive. You know, um, Brendan Behan, the glorious Irish playwright, turn, his idea of rehearsal <laughs> is to turn out with vomit all down his sweater, carrying two crates of Guinness and his wife carrying another crate of Guinness. We'd all settle down, open the Guinness, and sit there and drink. And he would tell tales, and we'd sing Irish songs. And in that way, we got into the atmosphere um, that we all needed. Took weeks to get into this whole atmosphere and develop a play called The Hostage, which came from a load of rough notes that he'd written. Took that to France, uh, and there were terrible we. We, we had a March demo in the middle of the play and somebody wrote Vive La F.L.N. and carried a big banner during the time of the Algerian war, it was great. <laughs> the British ambassador walked out, British consul walked out, and we won the prize. And not a penny from the Arts Council or from the British government in support, not a rim. Uh, But I I liked that, I I liked being a kind of rebel. I thought, Uh, First time I ever went on the stage, actually I got booed off Ah, in Switzerland. We were doing the Scottish play heading for Moscow and I could not do it, I was absolutely useless at it. And they started the slow hand clap and I came off and said, they're not ready for me yet. (laughs) (laughs) Not ready, (laughs) go away. Switzerland was weird, you know we arrived with our, all our stuff, those of us that were sober, uh, which were, didn't include me, the, the ones that got sober got there on time, and the rest of us turned up in a series of different trains from Paris where we all got off to got pissed. And uh, then when we got there, and then the set arrived on a truck, and naturally I went up and started to pull the pegs to open the truck and immediately these gal turn up and grab you, you're not allowed to touch anything because of some trade union. It was very peculiar being a socialist and being constantly, what um, a socialist but you know a socialist uh, follower and being constantly badgered by fascist trade unions, yeah. very That's odd. This is the paradox that kind of destroys. It is, anyway, yeah, it? very much so, I think.
0: Why are we going to Switzerland, of all the countries to go to in the 1950s? Well, because they offered
1: us a, a theatre for the week, you know, okay. to, yeah, you know. But well, I was introduced to an amazing stuff called Birchus Muesli, mit Lam, and a girl called Maria, Isla Maria, I must not say anything. Um, that was muesli with uh, yoghurt or cream. Lovely, lovely. In uh, 1950s England, Yes, that's this, is, yeah, this is 1957 in Zurich, <sighs> which smelt of lime trees, it was beautiful, beautiful. We went up a mountain, Sort of cows with bells on them, or a couple of professional yodelers. Yeah, not like Hank Williams, but uh, better than nothing. Yeah, we had a good time. Then we came back and then we went off to, to Russia on a train. Which is so much better than flying It's a long story to get into really and the the Russians in 1957 Had an international Youth festival of peace and friendship Which is a giant propaganda exercise where young people from all over Europe and America And from all the countries of the world would gather in Moscow and all the different uh, Tribes and races and groups from all over the Soviet Union would gather in Moscow Which is extraordinary, There were kind of Uzbeks wandering around with a whole sheep on their head <laughs> <laughs> And gorgeous looking Georgian girls and, and uh, mm. Armenian girls, beautiful Bulgarian girls They're all lovely black and, and the Russian women were staggering I mean, we were brought up um, by the Daily Express and the Daily Mail Showing pictures of Russian women looking like tanks Of course and uh, see this idea, you turn up in Russia and they're absolutely gorgeous. There's quite a, a common look amongst eyes of certain, I suppose, mixture from towards Mongolian end of the, of the Republic where they have these high cheekbones and these almost yellow eyes like wolf's eyes, but beautiful. Beautiful women. Extraordinary. Yeah. And the, and the other thing that we, that we were, to, you know, we were led to believe that Russian was an ugly language, and they always published that word nyet, N-Y-E-T, and put it upside down, and put exclamation marks upside down, and tried to make it into some kind of belligerent thing. Um, and the first time I ever heard the word, we were in, in Russia getting on a big train, and at the beginning of each coach... There were these young girls from the engineering institute, and they had little light blue head scars. And uh, they were young communists and um, one of our boys was chatting one up and she pressed her hand very gently on his and said, Nyeet, and it was so beautiful. I think it meant not yet. Mm. It certainly sounded more like not yet than no but It was full of discoveries when you're young you you know you you're, you're filled with prejudice by your parents you know and by your government um, and, and then you go abroad and this was so wonderful about travel you know, travel opens a mind
0: yeah.
1: we were in we were in it opened my mind very much I, I was a very much a camp follower of, of communism at the time I'd never joined a party. I, uh, I couldn't join the party because the language was so appalling. You know, battened down member of a lumpy proletariat. You know, it sounds all right in German. Don't sit too well in English. But um, we were in uh, East Berlin on the way. I should say more about this train because it was like a freedom train. Tell me about the train because I'm quite
0: anarchy with trains and things. Yeah, as well, I can first imagine. of
1: all, it was like a freedom train. We were all given passport, little passports to put in our main passports, mm-hmm. so that the, the Americans wouldn't see that we'd been to the Soviet Union, to 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 a communist bloc, because you wouldn't be able to travel anywhere, and the Russians knew that. And uh, they, I think the Israelis do it still, you know, mm-hmm. so, that, yeah, so the Arabs won't find out you've been there. I think so. Okay. I may be wrong, but I, I believe that's true. But anyway, um, we, um, all the youth, uh, the young artists of the left, architects, folk singers, poets, playwrights, actors, all, every, all dancers, all sorts of, all creative kind of people, artists, we were travelling across Europe in this giant train um, to Russia. Uh, and it was like a freedom train. And you would hear Peggy Seeger playing a banjo. I was going down the passage in the train one night. When I was a kid of seven, we were at a prep school in Devon and we used to sing. Where have you been all the day, Billy boy, Billy boy? Where have you been all the day, my Billy boy? I still remember the desk ant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, I can't remember now. But, um, but then I hear what happened to this song in the hands of the American backwoods. We're heavy, Ben, belly, ba, ba. We're It was electrifying. It was so staggering.
0: And on a train on the way to the. Oh, Union. And it's what happens when
1: you don't put it into the dead hands of Cec- Cecil Sharp House and turn it into Victorian rubbish. Um, and yeah, and, and you met people that you wouldn't believe. You know. and Richard Harris, who uh, became a big movie star, he and I were young actors. And I was in love with Richard Harris because he had charisma and he was ruder than I was and he had a beautiful voice and he could sing better and he could do everything better than I could. Probably not Eric, but... Uh, <laughs> Another story. <Hey>? Another story. <laughs> Another story. <laughs> but no, 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 he, he could have acted, but he let uh, fame get in the way too much, I think. shut up. Who's a critic? I, shut up. Um, But I was in love with him, like you'd fall in love with a sports star when you are young. And we traveled and we we drank a lot together and we sang. I'm 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 wandering all over the place with this story, but it probably doesn't matter. It's a lovely story. We get get to East Berlin and we are guests of the Freie Deutsches Jungland that West translation, but free German youth. Which was like, actually like the Hitler youth only in communism, so mm-hmm. they all had lovely, strong thighs and uh, <laughs> strong legs and white knickers, mm-hmm. and they little blue skirts and they'd stamped up and down in marches, and they really turned me on and I thought I, I'd love to be a masochistic dream of just lying on the parade ground being marched over by all these girls looking up Is at it their at the, to- at the time <laughs> at, at the time yes, it did, <laughs> and then we were invited <laughs> into this enormous canteen to sit with the workers the real people and we ate this cabbage soup which was probably gaster we thought was absolutely divine and mana and um, and ate this awful brown dusty bread uh, but we were there we were there mm. and I went for a pee and I walked past and there was a, a door left open and there were the fat cats all sitting there with bloody great sides of ham and bottles of wine and I thought, you bastards. You're always there. You're always some bastard creaming off the top. Creaming off the top of the folk and it made me so disgusted and I, I, I lost my communist virginity that day. i was very, very sad. But then we went on to Moscow and we just met these people, and they were sublime. So they were just, you know, ordinary folk are great. Ordinary people that you meet, I mean, not perfect, you know. I, I hate this um, uh, left wing theatre idea that all working class have these wonderful virtues, like those idiots in the workers' revolutionary party they used to go around talking about the virtues of the working class. I'd spent four years in the RAF with, with 19 um, working-class guys and, and I'm here to tell you they were just as venal and just as brilliant and just as sexy and just as horrible and just as bullying and just as loving as anybody else. You know, just as intelligent and just as stupid. But when you start laying virtues on people, you know, it destroys the argument. This is the trouble with it's the, the left, left wing. Third. Third. Class, it's yeah, it destroys the argument. So you make all the bosses idiots and all the works saints. So you've got no, you've got no debate. Polemics, yes, yeah, just it's yeah, exactly. It's just stupid. The saved and the unsaved. Exactly. Yeah, you might as well be in church. In yeah. fact, communism was a religion, a materialistic religion. I think. But uh, it had, I mean, it had wonderful, wonderful ideas. Uh, you know, got a lovely, jo- um, um, Hobsbawm, Eric Hobsbawm died the other day, the great mm. Marxist historian. Beautiful face, lovely Jewish intellectual, the huge nose, what my ex-Jewish girlfriend used to call camel lips. <laughs> oh, what a mind, a Marxist view of history so clear and so decent, and so honourable. so all this tub-thumping. A bit like the recent Olympics, that was clean and honest and decent. It wasn't tub-thumping and jinguistic and patronising. It was about folk, you know, about, I love it. Anyway, back to Moscow. How long are we actually on this train? Because I'm, I'm such like a train. of a Soviet train. Oh, on the train from the border, Brest-Litovsk in Poland, your hometown, mm-hmm. your home country to Moscow as a day and a night and a day and it was like one of these these Anna Karenina numbers and this huge steam train with Stalin and Lenin and Marx and Engels the cutouts yeah, no metal metal, metal. On the, yeah and on the <sighs> CCCP yeah, for the yeah. Soviet and flags, these red flags all over it and it's steaming and growling and ready to go across the plains of Russia to Moscow, the city that Napoleon couldn't restore it so much and a Hitler comulism, couldn't destroy oh fantastic Beautiful. and these lovely girls that said yeah <laughs> and, and uh, yeah we trundled across that land A day and a night and a day, and in the middle of the night, Joan Littlewood and Dickie Harris and I were drinking a bottle of wine and getting all nice and cosy, and she said, I don't want you ever to forget, because she always made us conscious of our political responsibilities as actors as art. I don't ever want you to forget that every yard of this railway line, this land, is soaked in blood people's blood, not mm-hmm. you know, hand off but is soaked in human blood. And it was an uh, uh, it was an awesome thought. Sobering sobering thought, well not quite sobering, but quite no, it but, that far. Uh, but it was it was a wonderful thought. That's the sort of thing that she would do, this extraordinary theatre director. Mm. She would just say something that made you think. Mm-hmm made you conscious of, of a lot, made you, made you responsible about what you do. You know, recently I was, uh, I was playing a murderer, a, 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 a lifer, in a film, directed by um, a very difficult character whose name I forget. Uh, it was her first feature and she pretended she wasn't frightened and everybody could see she was scared witless and we had to create our own characters, which I loved doing, and she would interview you as if she was a journalist, and she, she didn't take to me too well. She sat me down and said, all right, now, um, what's your name? And I said, Steve, whatever it was. And she said, now, oh, Steve, um, why, how long have you been in prison? And I said, well, uh, 23 years, you know, and uh, I've run over two to go on my tariff. And she said, oh, and what did you do? and all the company was gathered around and I couldn't resist I said, well, I um, I, um, I, killed five women, didn't I? <laughs> and she gets so angry, I says, oh, why did you do that? I said, well, you know, they they, um, they, wouldn't stop talking, would they, you know? And she got more, and then she said, well, tell me, um, Steve, how do you pass your time? I said, well, I did a, a course in, in in modern history at the Open University, didn't I? And she said, oh, Dudley, you're so bloody arty. <laughs> and I said, my <laughs> name's not Dudley, and I'm fucking out of here. <laughs> and I got up walked away. And a week later, I went to Wandsworth Prison to meet a lifer. We're going back to responsibility again. Okay. So, to meet a lifer. And I took with her, this director's assistant, with me, this director's assistant. We went to meet this extraordinary man who turned up and he'd done 23 years and he's got another six or four on his tariff. And she was taking notes, the woman. And I said, uh, oh no, first of all, he said to me, what what are you doing here? And I said, I'm here to honor you. So what are you talking about? I said, well, look, if I'm playing you Mm. and this film is shown on the wing, I don't want to look like a twat. Because I want to honour you. And he saw well, of like that. And I said, uh, how'd you pass your time? And I promise you, he said, I've just done an Open University course on modern history. I saw Eric Hobsbawm? I love Hobsbawm! Beautiful. His whole face lit up. Beautiful. And the assistant looked at me and she wrote it all down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Revenge is sweet. Isn't it, jealous? But it was absolutely true. I mean, I was brought up by Littlewood years, all those years ago, to have a responsibility and, and to try and understand the nature of these extremes of life and, and not to be judgmental but to be compassionate in the sense, not to sympathise, not to you know, excuse, but to be compassionate. And I felt so proud that day that uh, I had honoured this man. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would do the same if I was doing a child murderer because I don't want those police cars coming up towards that hotel where he's sitting watching television that his last two moments before the rabble tear into pieces to see somebody playing a child murderer There has at least some attempt at understanding. Because our duty as actors is to look for the child murderer in ourselves and not job it out to some freak in a dirty Mac and a runny nose. Yeah. You know. That's the responsibility, that's the responsibility of the actor. Otherwise, you've got no business being there. You can go down the road and do those plush plays.
0: And I'll extend it out and say the responsibility of the artist, the yes, a real artist. absolutely. Because the
1: terms, you, the things you've been talking about, the
0: idea of engagement, rather than presentation, yes. is something I almost take for granted in work, that it should engage yeah. and should challenge. I agree. And I do the same when I'm doing television or whatever. Otherwise it's didactic, it's telling you. You're sitting there, you're passive, boring. Quick one back to lifers. Did you know the man who built the aeroplane wing in my apartment has actually completed a life sentence for a murder which he didn't commit? And the first job he did on leaving prison, he used to have an aviation company and uh, is an engineer and an aviator and 20 years ago he was accused of murdering his business partner whose body was never found the police came up with the theory that he'd flown his partner's body in a helicopter and over the it, english yeah. channel and dropped it with an engine block tighter to find it and all the evidence points to the fact that the helicopter, which they actually had at the time, was in the repair shop and actually in pieces. But rather than actually admitting his guilt to something he didn't do, he did the whole tariff. Because if you don't admit yeah, guilt... Yeah, no, that's right. You've got to, you've got to show you're sorry. Yeah. And the, and the very, very first job he did on coming out was to come and build a full-size Dakota aeroplane mm. in my flat. It's
1: kind of dignified, that is. It was... The prisoners are only people that've been caught or yes. been sentenced. Oh. They're not kind of nothing crooks. special there. I hate this idea in plays of, uh, of putting people on and, and on television that the crooks look crooked. <laughs> you know, the great thing about crooks, special is they don't look crooked. Of course. Anyway, yeah. So, so um, yeah. So we go to Russia. <laughs> 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 and on the way, we learn about Billy Boy, and we learn about uh, blood on the tracks, blood on the tracks. And we learn a lot of stuff from each other, and uh, become. Oh, and there's a wonderful film. I don't mean it's a good film. There's a wonderful shot in a film called The Cranes Are Flying, which we all saw, a black and white movie from Russia. It's a very famous film. Yeah. Isn't it? In the sixties, and there's a shot in it of a man with a huge moustache and a half a sheep's hair a sheepskin on his head, mm-hmm. and he's coming back from the war, and his wife is there with a the new baby, and he picks the baby up and he holds it in the air and he brings his bare ass right down on his face and he kisses it, <sighs> and it is such a joy. It wouldn't be allowed now. Wouldn't be allowed. Wouldn't be permitted can't kiss a baby's arm. No sir, but it was <laughs> such a thrilling moment, it was just so beautiful, full of joy and humanity and love. Was that Moss Films, do you think? Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I worked at Moss Films, Moss no. no, I worked at Len Film Studios. Ah. Yeah, it was great, it was like a Dickens workshops, it was weird, and the thick snow and the darkness. So no. how were you I
0: all mean, feeling about being in the Soviet Union because, as you say, the Daily well, Mail and Well, we were the very, Olympics very
1: frightened and... as we were coming over the border because, uh-huh. uh, you know, we were scared. So we were scared. Mm. So a bit nervous. We were going to get out of here because you, know li- you know what they like because you read the, the newspapers. Exactly. And we saw Red Army soldiers immediately. Mm. And they came up and offered us a bottle of vodka.
0: Beautiful.
1: Me and Harris, and they started singing songs and dancing the Gopak. That wonderful, amazing dance. So, Harris and I sang IRA rebel songs. (laughs) A meeting made in heaven, yeah. It was a meeting made in heaven, exactly. And then uh, every village that we stopped as we trundled across Russia, those trains. Slow but steady, and absolutely. If they say it's going to be on time, it's on time. Mm-hmm. But we'd stop in a village square, and the village there—they'd been organised, you know, flags and everything all over the place. And the babushkas and the and the and the, and the, and the mothers and all that would all come up and ply us with flowers. You felt like Marilyn Monroe. They do respect actors in Russia. They loved actors in Russia. I don't know they do now. But to be treated like that, when you're used to being on, I don't know what it was, six six pounds, 13 something a week, nothing a week, um, it, was too, it was extraordinary. And then they would grab you and dance mm. all around the square and we'd dance and we'd sing. Then we'd get back on the train and then we'd go on for a while and get another lovely... Of course it was set up, but so what? Yeah, it, what, isn't, what isn't really? Well, yeah, We was thought the, the idea of the
0: youth movement yeah. and the peace movement, yes. we, we know it as big propaganda yes and of course. fighting, but then what's the Olympics? What's so, everything Zumir,
1: zu Dros, Exactly. Peace and friendship. <laughs> (laughs) Yeah, no, it was a very, it was, and to play at the Holy of Holies, the Moscow Arts Theatre. And I was playing the dreaded character called Mac, no, not Mac, Malcolm, Malcolm, the King's son, the one that comes in at the end, and he has to do these awful speeches making long lists of virtues, the king becoming graces, and then he lists all these virtues. is, when you're a young actor, you think you've got to explain to the audience the meaning of every single word you say, which is very tiresome. It also de- denies the audience the, the opportunity to make their decisions, so you're robbing them. Mm-hmm. and uh, I stumbled and cried in the dressing room I got wine stains on those I've still got the script at home the little it's over annotated mm-hmm. massively over like, what I couldn't do is keep it simple until one day I got the shits and um, I'm in the wings and Peggy Seeger was the only one around that could speak very Russian. There was a doctor there, so I had a bucket at my bum end and another bucket at my mouth end. I mean, really pouring out of me. And I went back on stage that night and I did it because I was so ill. I just did it clean and pure. I never got near it. But uh, one night, uh, my teeth fell out, my front teeth. Shot across the stage, the Boscars. The guy that was playing Macbeth was not the most subtle actor. He was a sweet man. He had big boots. <laughs> and he's heading towards these teeth that are gleaming in the spotlight. Ah. And over on the other side, no, on, on my side was a lovely actress called Avis Bunage, who was playing the witch. And I guess, get get me teeth across it before he Ava, treads on the body. Avis, 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 Avis get on me, te- get me teeth quick. So she got ran on, ran on cackling as a witch. and blurs oh turn which way I won't quote it, but uh, <laughs> going on and didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> and she grabbed the teeth but then she had to run off on the far side so I'm left on this side of the stage felt seemed like 50 yards away from my front teeth and I had to step onto the stage and say an immortal line I am yet unknown to woman ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny it was so funny we're all collapsing <laughs> oh, why, I
0: would, t- why would why would why are we doing Hamlet oh, not Hamlet but my why are we doing
1: Macbeth rather than because it's a heavy political. Stuff. Okay. And you did it. We did it in First World War, Cosmo on scaffolding, <laughs> workers theatre. Okay. okay. Got the job. I uh, got it. Good fun. Mm-hmm. And we had a wonderful um, musician who played Shostakovich Fifth Symphony during the interval, all the way through my tears, because I was always crying and addressing room in total despair of being unable to do anything. And to this day, I can play that wonderful section of the. Oh, this is an incredible piece of music, this shots to go with. Absolute magic! And oh, it's me crying in my dressing room, I was so frustrated, I just couldn't. I was really bad, bad. It took me many years to get rid of the artiness and the, the what Littlewood used to call you, your middle class, arty, and public school. My gosh, she thrashed it out of me, but it took a bloody long time. Mm. Um, and that oh, must have been 30 years later. She came to see a play a friend of mine brought her without telling me, thank God. She came to see me playing W.H. Auden in a play at the Battersea Arts Centre. And halfway through she said, Is that our Dudley? She said, It is absolutely bloody brilliant. And I cried. Yeah. You know, she told me. Tears of joy. I was passed. I finally passed out. Mm -hmm. It was so important that to have that approval of that extraordinary, difficult Mixture of genius and idiocy, a prejudiced mixture. But yes, I finally. But I still. She still lives in me today. Any any actor who ever works with her will always say she was a univ. That company was a university. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It was a university to all of us, and I was there very much as a student. It was only when I left I began to be at ease on the stage and be able to do stuff. Only when I know, there. but it was a university, totally. We didn't touch anything without going into it.
0: Would this have happened without her? Was she just a catalyst, or was that...? No,
1: it wouldn't have happened without her. I mean, well, these things always take that mm-hmm. genius at the middle of it, don't okay. they? Yeah. I mean, that's a silly word, genius, but there mm, you go. appropriate sometimes. You have that central, that artist, that queen bee in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. You always need that. And then when she goes, or the queen bee, or the queen king bee, or whatever goes, then the thing usually falls apart, or it becomes calcified, like the bracket company who send little gal lighters all over the world with books of photographs for exactly the move that the, you know. Ow. Ow. Shut up. Wrong, wrong. Yeah. Dead no, theatre. Dead theatre. I mean, really, ideally, theatre shouldn't be photographed or recorded. Filmed, it should be dead, it should have gone, it should be utterly ephemeral. I'm always a little loath to have my stuff recorded when I do shows, my Mm -hmm. own shows. I always think it's better if you don't. And then there will be people who go around and say, Do you remember that amazing thing, that extraordinary thing that we experienced, you know? Because that's what it's about is it's not about reproducing it and making money out of it and calcifying it and, or examining wretched students on it. Poor blighters. Do you know to this day they get examined on Brecht and Stanislavsky. Brecht was in the 30s, Stanislavski was at the turn of the century. They're the only people that wrote enough theory for these bloody examiners to come along and test. There's nothing do with anything at all That's to true. do with the theatre it has to do you know it, it's not an academic subject theatre is not an academic subject I think half the, all the arts they're not academic subjects history of art is but art itself isn't history of acting theory of acting there's a dreadful institution in New York called the actor's studio through which came some of the great actors of, of, of the 20th century in spite of the actor's
0: yeah. That was the method.
1: Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. the dreaded
0: method. Lovely. What was it from? Um, yes. from the what's the film with the Nazi dentist? Oh yeah. yeah. That was Gielgud, wasn't it? No, Olivia. Olivia, and yeah, the actor. What's his little name? little little actor Dennis. who did it. No, not who Dennis. did the method? Yeah, and apparently, this is just one of those little anecdotes, probably watched it off a chat show, with, um, turned up on set and he hadn't slept and just drunk lots of coffee and so stressed he ran, himself He ran, he went out. for a
1: run, he that ran, all, ran all, all for all miles, miles yeah, then filmed the torture short, yeah. scene, yeah. Yeah.
0: And, um, Larry Darling, of course, just said, we you never considered acting.
1: <laughs> 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 and I would say to Larry, have you ever considered a not acting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that goes round and it round. It wasn't round somebody I cared for very much. Um, How long were you in the Soviet
0: Union with No We
1: yeah, were a month and we only did nine performances, so we had a lot of time to go out with the Russians and get drunk on these bottles of vodka that they seem to cane. And I could drink about one or two. One or two and I'd be sick. No bottle, they're, they're like lemonade bottles. Oh, that's right, yeah. And they just neck them all the time, like we do lager. Breakfast beer? No, they, they neck them. You a breakfast beer and the Soviets, or hey? well, just the beer that you
0: drink in the morning. Oh, the really beer, beer is sweet beer. A sweet beer. Yeah. And at the end
1: of the bar, they have these uh, salt herring. Mm. And you tear the scales off the salt herring, spit it on the floor, and then eat the bed of the flesh. Drink the sweet beer, and it is sublime. <laughs> and the floor is covered in scales like an old oh. Irish pub used to be covered in phlegm, uh-huh. you know. It was, well, it, was it was wonderful. I do like sleaze, I, do, I, look sle- I like sleaze and we, we, we were lucky because we were given pretty much the freedom of all areas of the city so Harris and I would go down to these low taverns and find this beer and these fish and the only people that could speak we could speak to were uh, ex-prisoners of war who were more or less, mostly had hand, fingers and arms shot off. But they could speak French. And I could speak a smattering of French and we mm-hmm. could communicate with them. Because all the time they were sort of scared to speak to foreigners. You know. um, the artists were hidden away. And, uh, uh, but I don't know, I just found Russia, uh, in a sense, similar to Ireland, full of song and violence. And poetry, and I mean the beauty of—I uh, mean, it's—it's it's a terrible um, paradox, a sort of horror in a way, that suppression creates great art. Yeah. Art artists thrive under suppression. My eyebrows are raised. I I completely understand that.
0: That needs a lot of discussion. I know
1: it does. It's a very difficult one. It's a very
0: difficult... There's actually an an academic book called Where Art is Poor, which is an examination of, as it describes, the bizarre and unusual economy of the arts. And it's written by an economist, uh, doctorate level economist, who's also a practising fine artist and he's Belgian, which is probably the only place you'd get an economist as a practising fine artist. And he rebelliously suggests that all the figures and all the facts show that the more you subsidise the art, the less money goes in the pocket of the artist. I'm sure.
1: I always think subsidy is a very bad idea. Mm. you struggle is what. Well, let's call it struggle, not oppression. I do Yeah. The idea. Uh, I mean. Uh, no. Let me just go. Example. Let me just say what I. Uh, oh No. No. I mean, no, no this, I'm, I'm no, discussing, in, not uh, no. 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 I know. No. I'm just saying that mm. the deep respect that the Russians had for their writers and poets mm. was staggering. I mean, that you would risk your mm. life passing samistat writing around. Okay is an extraordinary thing. Mm-hmm. And the same in Ireland. In Ireland in 1960, you go to Dublin in 1960 and the street people, street cleaner really did know James Joyce and Paddy Kavanaugh and the rest of them. They really did. It's changed now, they don't now. Mm. And in Russia they don't know the writers anymore. But it's sad.
0: Yeah, that's a very interesting view. I suppose they'll
1: come back as subjects later, but I mean, when I was in St. Petersburg doing a film much later, I was thrilled because I was staying near the Fontanka Canal, and that's where Arkhamatova used to walk. You know, people rushing off to the um, Hermitage to see French Impressionist paintings, that's fine, but I walked where Arkhamatova walked. <laughs> and to me, that is. Because if you've never read her poem Requiem, Uh you haven't lived. Won't say anything to say, but it moved me tremendously. I suppose I'm a bit of a sadist, really. I like stuff based on suffering. Uh, it, it, it is a silly remark. It's, it's not, not really. Not silly. It's, it's, it become, yeah. it's become a cliche. The notion of the, the artist
0: in the garret. The oh no, I, I the don't park. mean that. I know the artist in the
1: garret is somebody who, who chooses to be there. Mm. I'm talking about people who don't choose to be. Yeah, well, you talk about repression and uh, yeah, the repression of the about, arts and the Soviet I'm Union. I'm talking about uh, political suppression mostly. You have to. I mean, I, I was in Hungary doing film, and the Russians were there. And um the Hungarians are extraordinary, in the good soldier Schweik, the Austrian, they have their their expression is with overcoats and hats. They're very good with overcoats, long overcoats and hats, mm-hmm. the Hungarians. And they have a way of showing their disdain for the mm-hmm. occupying force, just the way they walk. I mean it's sublime, you know, and we we had this uh, uh cranky old driver with a broken teeth, called Imre of course, and uh, a battered old hat, and this battered old Russian-like Cadillac, I think they're called Zims or Zums. Zil. Zil. Mm. And we had the you know, and we go and we're staying at the Gellert Hotel where Adolf Hitler stayed and and all the Russians stay, the Russian businessmen with their so-called secretaries come and stay, and they have brand new Zills and they're all lined up And Imre sees all this, and with this natural, joyful um, ability to turn life into a cartoon very quickly, which is what they do, Mm. um, he turned to us and he said, Protocol Protocol Ha 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 and he goes, chung chung beats this this beaten up right up to the front and all these guys and these Russians these, they're furious and he stops the car and he gets out and he bows down and he and opens the door. And the first actor to step out is about five foot and is dressed as an Italian gangster with a violin case. And then I come out and I'm six foot and I'm dressed as an Italian, and we walk up the step and immediately understand what he's doing because we're actors, but they do it. Mm. And it was, it was just wonderful. And it was complete subversion, complete destruction of, of, of the, uh, of the, of the, the um, occupation and the violence. But all done with overcoats and with gesture. Beautiful. Heaven. Heaven. Total political theatre at its best. And ad-libbed. And not by actors, by people. Mm. What could be more sublime than that? You know. It was was extraordinary. Just to be there when the Russians were there. We were singing in a bar, we were told to be quiet the
0: Russians
1: were there. Mm. So were there. Horrible. The other side of Russia. It was
0: um, a couple of weeks ago my friend's father died, he was 104, and he was one of the original International Brigade, Rare. Um, uh, Kenton, Ugh. and uh, I was just reading his uh, He was saying he was a communist party member with his wife and was involved and he went to the Soviet Union and all sorts of things and he resigned in disgust when the Russians invaded.
1: Yeah, a lot of people did in 1956. I listened to it on the radio in my student's bedroom alongside a poster of uh, Thrippini Opera. It sent a shockwave, didn't it? Absolutely, it did. And we went, that was in 1956 and we were there in the next year Mm. and these women were coming up. And saying our oh, beautiful sons in their tanks going to save the Hungarian people mm. and the fascist American instigated fascist uprising. Well, you know, you yeah, It pays mm. your money. It takes your choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah. But it, I love I love travelling like that because the politics becomes very clear mm. and you can read it. Very exciting time to be around. 1957 in Russia, 1958 in Paris, 1960 in New York. These were wonderful times,
0: you know. It sounds like we could easily get an hour for each of those years, because we've actually nattered away here for, or shall I say detoured? Yeah. For, no, we for a nice time. We must continue our conversations, I yeah. think. Uh, yeah. We'll both enjoy that. This is a lovely place to do it, isn't it? It's very sweet. It
1: is. It's just sweet. Dignified. The Chelsea Arts Club. Yeah, something decent about it. It's like there's something decent about the pot. The, the other pot, the stock pot. I was just going to say the stock pot. Talking of which, should we go for supper? Yeah, let's go for supper. Stock pot. Oh, I've the supper's on me tonight. Oh, is it? Yes, well, indeed. Thank you very much. In that case, we'll go to. No, we we'll are go to the stock pot. <laughs>
0: been listening to Isotopica with me, Simon Tishko, here on Resonance 104.4 FM. Today we had Dudley Sutton as our special guest. Dudley will be back uh, sometime in the future, which I hope will be met with much applause from Resonance listeners. You can find details of today's episode and previous episodes and possibly even future episodes of Isotopica on my website, which is www.theculture.net. Follow the links for Resonance, and you can also find us on iTunes, I believe. Once again, thank you, Dudley. And um, looking forward to hearing more in future weeks. This is Simon Tiskel, saying goodbye. Hopefully see you again, same time, same place, same fabulous radio station, 104.4 FM. Bye.